Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the fucking Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Stretch pass. Kuzmenko's got a breakaway in a load. He scores! Andre Kuzmenko scores the first overtime winner of his NHL career. You know what? We're not 500 yet. I mean, I think we're playing better. I think we're playing more consistent. But I think there's, you know, there's a lot of steps we can take to become a better team yet. I always try to put myself in his shoes. And I'm like, if I was over there, like, I wouldn't be saying a word. And this guy doesn't shut up. Shut up. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Brough. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Adog, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning, Laddie. How are you? Hello, hello. I'm good. Uh, Halford and Brough in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, tell the people more about Kintech and all they have to offer. Well, I know that I have to get down to Kintech. Oh. Because... Are your feet okay? My, my feet are fine. I just need some new shoes, and they got great shoes there. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, known as the footwear part. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Are you going to get some more of those fancy Roger Federer shoes? Yeah, I think so. What are they called? On. On. Are you going to get those LA lights where they light up and flash on the back when you walk away? Or get the the wheels? Yeah. Oh, yeah, there we go. uh, And the heel? Yeah. You need wheel shoes. That's That's not going to get the cops (laughs) called on you really quick. Heelys, they call them. Heelys. Is that what they call them? Yeah. I I call them broken elbows. Who's that tall, skinny guy (laughs) wheeling towards us? (laughs) Very, very slowly. Okay. Big show ahead. Things are a little bit out of order as our usual Monday, but that's okay. You'll figure it out as we go along. So at 6.30, 28 minutes time, Peter Galindo is going to join us from Sportsnet live from Qatar. Uh, There's a lot to unpack, obviously, after Canada was, hey, look, it's us on the TV, after Canada was eliminated from World Cup, moving on to the round of 16 with a 4-1 loss to Croatia yesterday in one of the early games of the round. So we'll talk to Peter about that. We'll almost put... The Canada soccer story on the back burner for now and do the sort of what happened version of that at 6.30 with Peter Galindo. You're going to want to hear that because Peter's got a lot of information, boots on the ground in Qatar, and we've got a lot to say about the game as well. Uh, 7 o'clock, it's going to be IMAC, right? They have switched, so it's 7 o'clock IMAC, who's going to be joining us from San Jose. He has yet to fly home after the Canucks beat the Sharks 4-3 in overtime. Last night, I think everyone on that trip is pretty tired right now, including IMAX. So we'll talk to him at seven before he departs to come back to Vancouver. Then at eight o'clock, Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders, is going to join us. A presentation of the Clayton Public House. Uh, I believe Josh Jacobs is still running on the Seattle Seahawks as we speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's up to six hundred yards now. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, he had a lot of them yesterday. There's a, lot a couple to- pairs of tickets as well to give away today. Yes, that's mention. right. Uh, so if you want to start getting him in now, I've, I don't normally call for what we learns this early, but hey, what the hell? It's my show. Uh, get your what we learns in. What did you learn over the last seventy two hours in sports? We're going to be giving away tickets every single day for the Florida game. That's correct. 
well, there's three games this week. We'll be giving tic- tickets away every day for those. So right. today, so today we're giving away two pairs of tickets to tomorrow's game versus Perfect. the Caps. Okay, so today for, today for tomorrow, and then, yes, for the, the we've mentioned that Florida game a couple times, the December 1st, where they're going to uh, celebrate Roberto Luongo and the Sedins going to the Hall of Fame. That's right. Yeah, so 8 o'clock, Mike Tanier. Uh, 6.30, Peter Galindo, 7 o'clock, IMAC. Uh, we've got a bunch of games going on at the World Cup. The, I think the wildest game, maybe, of the entire tournament, although that's subjective. Uh, Serbia and Cameroon this morning, 3-3 draw. That, that's underway. Um, sorry, Ghana and Korea is underway right now. It's 2-0 for the Ghanaians over Korea at the half. Switzerland and Brazil coming up at 8. Another chance for everyone to watch Brazil minus the services of Neymar. And then Uruguay and Portugal at 11. It's Monday night football tonight. There's six NHL games. There's 10 NBA games. So it's a busy day in the world of the Sprots. But that's what's happening today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? What happened? Canucks win. Canucks win twice in a matter of days. Two days, two wins. Canucks win in Vegas on Saturday, then come back with a... A tired but gutsy performance, a 4-3 overtime victory over the Sharks last night to sweep the three-game road trip. Canucks are now 5-1 and one in their last six. So do you remember last week, I think we had an Ask Us Anything. It was on Friday, and the question was, if Canada wins a World Cup game and the Canucks fire Bruce Boudreaux, oh, yeah. which story do you lead with on Monday? So what's the opposite of that ask us anything because our the Canucks exist, our existence right now friend I don't think we're going to wake up uh, anyone's going to wake up this morning to a press release that the Canucks have fired Bruce Boudreaux and Canada sure didn't win on Sunday against Croatia uh, the Canucks have now won five of six they're nine ten and three so they're still below NHL 500 but because the Western Conference is frankly so bad this season, yeah. uh, especially in the middle of the Western Conference. They're only one point back of a playoff spot, and <laughs> you're looking at a four-game homestand coming up against okay teams, but certainly winnable games. You got the Washington Capitals here on Tuesday. Caps aren't that great anymore. No, nope. Florida, Arizona, and Montreal. So we looked at this road trip, and we thought, man. You got to go into Colorado and play the defending Stanley Cup champs. Yep. But you know what? Colorado, they got a lot of injuries right now. This is not a fully stacked Colorado team. And then we said, oh, okay, yeah, but you, you go into Vegas, that's going to be tough. Well, Vegas was playing on the second of a back to back. So Vegas was actually the tired team there. The Canucks had, had a couple days off, including one to party in Vegas. Yeah. And then Sunday, yeah, it was the second of a back-to-back for the Canucks, but it's San Jose. The Sharks aren't a very good team. So the Canucks took advantage of this situation. They took advantage of a depleted Colorado team. They took advantage of uh, a Vegas team that might have been a little bit tired. And frankly, Vegas hasn't been playing all that well lately. Mm -hmm. And then they beat a a team that they're supposed to beat in the San Jose Sharks, and they're 9-10-3. And And all of a sudden, people are like, well, wait a minute. We're right back in this. Yeah, I'm I'm still tapping the brakes on this, if only because I'm almost still like upset, like irrationally angry at how the season started and just how bad. Oh, I'm furious was. that they're in this position. I'm not well, furious think of, that they're in the position. No, the, think of all think of how different it could have been if they could hold a multi goal lead. Mm-hmm. Not just a lead, a multi goal lead. Their only loss 
in their last six games was to Vegas, which featured a multi-goal blown lead. They had a four-two lead. It's just it's it's been such a weird and frustrating uh, start to the season yeah. because they shouldn't be in this position. They should have a better record. So uh, big talking points from the weekend. I'll just kind of list them off, and then we can run through them however we see fit. Uh, Saturday night in Vegas, story of the game, special teams without question. The Canucks put up not one, not two, but three power play goals. Matter of fact, it was the first three goals of the game. And uh, Pedersen came out afterwards and said it. Special teams won us the game. Special teams won us this game tonight. Uh, It was a pretty interesting eye-catching score because the Canucks led in Vegas against the Golden Knights 5-0 at one point after that Horvat goal late in the second period. But then it was very much pack up. And move on to San Jose. And the travel in between was rough. That San, o- San Jose game, you know, normally the San Jose games are 7.30 starts. But this one was a 5. So. That one actually caught me by surprise. Which one? The San Jose start time. I yeah. Was, I, I was flipping around the TV and I was like, wait a minute, the game started already? <laughs> because the Kings played last night too. Usually all the California teams are traditionally 7 or 7.30 like yeah. without fail. They don't usually do the early start on Sunday. But I didn't like think they'd see. do that to the Canucks. I know. You know? So what happened was... They left Vegas on Saturday night. There's some sort of like uh, airline restriction about when you can land or fly in San Jose. So they couldn't get into San Jose until after 2 in the morning. Right. And then to the hotel, sleep, wake up, play an earlier game than usual, and then fly home to Vancouver. So I could understand why, if at first blush, that game in San Jose, you know, the shot totals were pretty slanted towards the Sharks. Uh, if you look at the game as a sort of big picture thing, the, the Sharks did get a lot of shots on Demko, but certainly benefited from a couple very weird bounces. And Andy and I were t- <laughs> Andy and I were talking about uh, the Luke Cunning goal where it kind of bounced, bounced off him and floated into the net. And then we also had the one that came off Ethan Bear's stick. But the reality of it is uh, that in itself, if you throw all the metrics out the door, the most important metrics is, oh, we say, mm-hmm. is they got two points. They got the goal from Kuzmenko. Can we play the audio? Because this kind of dovetails into the next thing I want to talk about is that uh, the Kuzmenko story is really kind of becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not exact. I know this is great analysis. I'm not exactly sure what that thing is. I don't know whether the story is going to be a great thing. I <laughs> assume you mean yeah. it's a great thing. Like Andy loves him. That's a thing. Well, how we, could you well, not? Well, put it this way: we talk a lot about how much the Canucks are going to have to pay Bo right. Horvat right to keep him. Oh, Kuzmenko's. Yeah. Cha-ching. Kind of in the same boat. His his agent tweeted last yeah. night three money bag emojis. <laughs> that Milstein put out yeah. three money bag emojis. That was it. At, right after the goal was scored, Dan Milstein. He was knows. Like, yes. He knows. Yeah, he's not a dummy. I'll say that. So, but, but there's also um, what he's kind of meant to the group, Kuzmenko, mm-hmm. and that's this is the the audio from Thatcher Demko because it's very clear that on a team that I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but has reportedly had some fractions. Within the room, maybe some personalities rubbing each other the wrong way. Right. He seems like the guy. You know that one guy that everyone just loves, mm-hmm. and and he just he's like I, I don't know. It's something about their personality. Is uh, is it possible that the Canucks got not one but two puppy dogs? Because Rip the that, puppy is, yeah. is 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 a real puppy. But mm. I've seen some of the photo shoots that Kuzmenko has been involved in. Yeah. He's either a puppy or a seven-year-old child. That's a good way of putting it, actually. We have two dogs. This is, like, adorable. Have... This is why I've connected to him. So He's well. adorable. <laughs> yeah. We have two human dogs. They yeah. have one. Okay. Kuzmenko is definitely like, 
mailing his letter to Santa. Oh, let's for just... sure. Yeah. He mailed it three months ago. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I'm, sure. I'm glad you brought this up because let's hear from Thatcher Demko talking about Kuzmego's an interesting analysis from Demko on his new teammate who is a point of game player so far this season. I mean, he's a funny guy. Um, I, I mean, I always try to put myself in his shoes and I'm like, if I was over there, like I wouldn't be saying a word and this guy doesn't shut up. So uh, it's, it's a good thing. You know, it's, it's something that brings a smile to the guy's face and, you know, half the time he leaves the room, we don't know what he said, but it's still, um, you know, <laughs> it still makes us laugh. And, um, you know, obviously he's, he's trying to adjust not just on the ice, but culturally too. And, uh, you know, the language thing is something that he's working on. So, uh, but yeah, he's been great. Pretty good player too. He's got a lot of skill. So Kuzmenko's at 20, again, if you had told me these numbers at the beginning of the year, I would have thought the Canucks would have been much, much, much further ahead <laughs> than one game below NHL 500. Kuzmenko is a point of game player. He has 21 points in 21 games. JT Miller is more than a pointing game player, yep. 23 and 22. Bo Horvat is among the NHL's elite goal scorers right now with 17 through 22 games, and he's a pointing game player. And Pedersen, who is having a phenomenal year, and by the way, that line that line kind of cooks a little bit when all three are going because McKayev had a good Petey's game last in, night as well. Petey's incredible right now. 20, Petey, 27 Petey, points in 22 games for Pedersen. They Petey, have four pointing game players. Petey's an elite player. Five at this point. Sorry. And it's funny that, uh, well, funny, for, but also challenging for the Canucks in that you're looking at all these players that you just listed, and we know Kuzmenko and Horvat are pending UFAs, but Petey's got a contract situation too. Mm-hmm. He's he's going to have to negotiate something uh, relatively soon. He actually can sign an extension this coming off season. And remember when the Canucks signed Pedersen to that bridge contract, there was a lot of consternation about the fact that they didn't have the cap space or they couldn't find the cap space to sign PD long-term. Yeah. That might not have been the entire story, but it was mostly that was that was, it was how one it of the, went. One, one of the angles. Yeah. It, it was one of the angles. But then PD got off to that dreadful start last season, and a lot of people were like, whew, including myself, frankly, were like, phew, thank God the Canucks didn't sign this guy to like a seven- or eight-year extension with a massive cap hit because right now he looks like – a shell of his former self. Mm-hmm. Well, he figured something out last season and he finished really strong. And I think he's been even better this season. He's I think he's playing I think season. he's playing his best hockey that he has in the NHL. He may not have the flash that he did as a rookie that we were like, oh my God, look at the moves that he's making out there. This is incredible. But he's just such an overall solid hockey player. I think yep. he's their best defensive. Uh, forward, which is saying something because he's also their leading goal scorer. Like this is the form that drew comparisons to Pavel Datsuk. This is the form that had people going, "Man, is he like he? He is not only a really offensive talent, but he's the type of talent. He's the type of player that can win a Selkie one day." Yeah, and I mean we've talked about. So this. how much is that going to cost? Yeah, and we've talked about this at length um, about the importance of him emerging as not just a good. 1C. It's if you're going to be a team and an organization that have Stanley Cup aspirations, he has to be able to play at the level of McDavid. And I use the big three now, like almost offhand, mm-hmm. but McDavid, Matthews, and McKinnon. Yeah. That's that's the bar, really. And I know Matthews is in a different conference and it's an entirely different conversation with Toronto. But just bear with me on this one. Those That's really where the bar is at. And what he's doing right now is, is, be, is having that conversation where it's like, okay, the struggles in the first half of last season 
were clearly that struggles because there was some concern that he might have peaked as a rookie and was going to plateau somewhere as being I don't know like he's he's a, he's a good one C on a bad team and you know you can't he's not going to be a leader and by leader I'm talking about the things you're talking about um matchup guy you know selkie candidate yeah being the, being up for major awards the ability to be in almost every single situation and getting a tap from your coach because you're the guy in those situations uh, speaking of guy, being the guy in a situation, uh, kudos to Thatcher Demko for playing his way out of one over the last couple of games. Uh, he was very good last night in San Jose. 32 saves on 35 shots total. Uh, again, as we alluded to, you look at it and you're saying it's another game where he gave up you know, multi-goals, but two of the three goals came on some pretty weird bounces. Otherwise was really effective, got the Canucks into overtime, got them the win. Uh, let's hear now from Bruce Boudreaux. On his goalie, as Boudreaux acknowledged that, yeah, Demko's played really well in the last couple of games. Maybe, just maybe, he's turned a corner here. Here's Bruce Boudreaux on Thatcher Demko. Absolutely. Like, I mean, he was so good. I mean, the only pucks that beat him were tips or a stupid headbutt puck, uh, you know. But uh, I thought he was really, really sharp. And uh, and that's two out of three games he's been really, really sharp. So I think he's coming, coming back into the fold. Do you think Bruce considered at all playing Spencer Martin back-to-back. I think he probably considered it, yeah. yeah he considered it. I, yeah. I actually tweeted out uh, after the Vegas game that I would have gone back. If I'm if I'm in his shoes, mm-hmm. and this isn't me saying I would have done this, but I was saying if I'm in his shoes, I would have probably started Martin in, in the San Jose game so- just because Demko, like they were, the, the, the vibe was good on the team after you go into Vegas and, and get that win, plus mm-hmm. you've, you've beaten Colorado. On this road trip, Spencer Martin played both those games. Yep. Do you want to risk Demko having a tough one and all the momentum yeah. just falls falls away? Now, a lot of people on Twitter disagreed with me, said, you know, no, you, you, you go with Demko, you got to get this guy going. And ultimately, Bruce did go with Demko, and it was the right decision. Uh, so they talked about it on the Hockey Night Canada panel right after the Vegas game. Like, uh, Frege and Bieksa and Rudy and Ron, that was like almost the first thing they talked about when they sat down because they knew, I mean, it's mana to the crazies in Vancouver and, and Canucks Twitter and everything is starting up a goaltending controversy. But it, I, I bring this up because the conversation wasn't without merit because they brought up a couple of things that you just alluded to there. Like, what if Demko went in last night and had another game where he gave up four or five goals and a loss. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to be looking at it and saying, geez, like at what point are you going to have to flip the switch to where Martin's getting the majority share of the starts and Demko's, you know, filling in for him on an other night basis. And, you know, they, they did make the point. Like at a certain point, you get desperate in your season where you do start to consider playing your backup yeah. in, in back-to-backs just so you can get victories. Because, again, when we talked about the standings in the West right now, it's still up for grabs. For me, it's not. It's not a goaltending controversy like who's your number one and who's your number two. It's it's not like I would you know if if you go with Spencer Martin and and you ride the hot hand a little bit. It's it's not like I'm saying that Thatcher Demko doesn't have a future with the Canucks anymore. No, I think it's just me acknowledging that goalies, even even the best ones, go through rough spells sometimes. And when you got a backup that's getting you wins, and you're desperate for those wins, 
sometimes you have to consider playing the backup a little more. It's, it, it doesn't, you know, I, I don't think Thatcher Demko's the type of person or the type of athlete that doesn't understand that situation. I don't think he's like some sort of egomaniac that's going to be like, well, I'm done with this team, right? That's it. He, uh, Thatcher Demko, I'm sure, would concede like, hey, I'm, I'm not, I'm played all this season. If I and if I played a little better, the, my team would be in a better position. Depends on the guy, though. I know you say that. Oh, yeah, he'll be a, a team guy, but I can tell you from experience, depends on the goal. You were the guy. I, I, I think Demko. You were that guy. Yeah, yeah. I was definitely the guy. <laughs> I, I think Demko is is the the right kind of personality, like That's you're what alluding I'm talking to. About. But yeah. it does. It's not like that for every goalie. So well, be thankful I, that no, you have I, a goalie I, like that. I 100% realize that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we should also mention, by the way, I know this has been almost exclusively Canucks, and we'll finish off with the other Canucks story of the weekend here in just a moment, but. Um, the, like I, as I said, if you had told me that the Canucks would have four different forwards that were at a point of game pace, I would have said, oh, they're definitely in a playoff spot. They are not. Another thing, if you had told me that at the 21 game mark, so we're now a quarter way into the season, that the Seattle Kraken would be one of the hottest teams in the Western Conference riding a five-game win streak and are now just four points back of Vegas for top spot in the division with two games in hand. Would have said you were nuts, but lo and behold, here we are. The biggest surprise that we have talked literally nothing about with regards to uh, this division, the Canucks playoff implications and what have you, is that Seattle just continues to win hockey games. Wild hockey games, Yeah, too. like all of them, are they're scoring a ton of goals. Yeah. Uh, they've got a plus 15 goal differential. Mm-hmm. So they're, you know, it's not like they're eking these things out. 690 points percentage. And now you look at it and you're saying, okay, Canucks are just a handful of points out of a playoff spot. I know the games played are all out of whack for everyone, so I'm not even going to bother trying to go down that road. But right now, the Canucks have played themselves back into a spot where they can start to see the wild card positions. The reason that this has happened is because the Alberta teams have been average to subpar at best. Um, you know, and I think what you're looking at the, the two, well, Saint, a couple of a few teams in the central too, St. Louis, Minnesota, Nashville. Right. And they, I mean, St. Louis had the very like well-known losing streak, uh, a little while ago, LA has been okay. And then the California teams are about as bad as you would expect. Maybe I actually think Anaheim may be worse than everyone expected. So you have to kind of readjust your expectations. Now, my first one looking at this is that this is unsustainable for Seattle just based on the team that they're currently doing this with. Like, I have no idea how they're doing this. I know that they've got some really good young talent, and they got Matty Beneers, but they're down to their third goalie at times, and I just don't think the team is that talented. But the Canucks have been handed kind of a lifeline through the first two months of the season in that there were so many other teams, and this is still currently going on, that have really sputtered and skidded along teams that we thought were going to be locks for a playoff spot. So this whole situation in the West, yeah, you've got some teams that you expected to be near the top. They're at the top. But a lot of this is still very much up for grabs, and that's because a lot of slow starts on a lot of teams. The Rachel Dory situation. Yeah, okay. So that was the other story that I was alluding to, and this happened on Sunday night. Uh, Rachel Dory, who is a former employee in the Vancouver Canucks analytics department, filed a complaint against the team last week alleging discrimination by the organization when she was fired from her post in September. This happened yesterday on Twitter. Uh, She tweeted out a copy of the complaint, which was filed by her legal reps on November 22nd, so six days ago. It alleges that Vancouver Canucks Assistant General Manager Emily Castonguay made discriminatory comments about Dory's mental health while Dory was still employed by the team. So I, I just think this situation is incredibly unfortunate. 
the Canucks have uh, denied the allegations. Uh, they have said that they will respond accordingly at the proper time. I don't know how this is going to get resolved if the Canucks are going to um, try and mediate this situation or try and fight back vehemently in this situation. But uh, it's just, for me, without seeing the full picture, without being seeing what the Canucks' full response is, all I can su- uh, summarize is that it's incredibly unfortunate that Less than a year, less than a year after the Canucks were being lauded for their progressive hires, that one of those hires is now alleging that her, quote, sex and physical and mental disabilities played a role in the termination of her employment. Don't forget, the Canucks have also been lauded for their mental health advocacy, Mm -hmm. Uh, after Rick Rippon passed away, they became one of the real leaders in the sports world when it came to advocating uh, for mental health and taking care of yourself and going out and, and getting help. Um, you know, I, again, I mentioned the Canucks strongly disagreed with the allegations, mm-hmm. but how will they look if they, in their response, take off the gloves? To put it that way, you yeah. know, legally speaking, sure. uh, in a legal fight with a young woman with mental health issues, it, it is, it is just like mm-hmm. this could not have gone worse. Optically, it's a nightmare because you want to try and present the information as clear as possible, not editorialize, but also it's hard to look at this and say anything other than, as you put it, really unfortunate, really ugly, because you've got historically a Canucks organization. That has been lauded for two things, most recently, uh, their uh, diversity within the front office and then their mental health initiatives. Mm -hmm. You have someone directly challenging those core principles and tenets, and you have to take both the complainant and the club's history and try and project, sorry, try and present the information as neutrally as possible. But in saying that, it's hard not to editorialize a little bit and say that this is a really bad situation. And it's just really unfortunate that it wow. played out this way. I mean, I don't think it's editorializing to say the situation is unfortunate. That's yeah. just obvious. Uh, you know, if you're going to editorialize at all, I would suppose I'd say, you know, it's all well and good for people to be given opportunities that historically they haven't been given. It's all well and good isn't even a good way to put, put it. Like, People who haven't historically been given opportunities, regardless of the reason, we need to see those people given those opportunities. But it's absolutely paramount that when they are given those opportunities, that they be put in position to succeed. Um, Because there's always going to be people out there who want to see those people fail. And if they do fail, and I don't think we can put uh, this situation, this this, uh, opportunity... It was definitely a failure the way it's the mm-hmm. way it's ended. Uh, so it's on organizations to go beyond reaping the positive PR yeah. that they get for hiring non-traditional candidates. And and I'm not just talking about sports teams, right? We've seen it in the media world, sure, where people are hired and the organization gets the positive PR, like, oh, they're giving this person, like, that's incredible, and then that person is not supported in the job or not prepared for the job, not ready for the job. And it goes incredibly badly for that person. 
and there are mental health um, consequences to that. And I think that goes double for any public-facing organization Mm -hmm. like the Canucks, or in our case, media, right? And a lot of the times, I shouldn't say a lot of the times, but there have been occasions where I've wondered about hires and I've been like, is the organization just doing this to to make themselves look good? Yeah, because that's the that's the always the knock on effect, right? Is that you get the and for lack of a better term, the publicity bounce at the start where yeah. you get recognition for making these hires. But the key thing about it isn't the hire; it's the employment in the aftermath, right? And it's is your organization willing to do more than bring someone into the fold? Are they going to be able to thrive within your organization? Sometimes that means making changes, not just hiring someone. And say, do and act as we act. Uh, We are way up against it for time. Uh, We're going to do the soccer story next. Uh, I will say that Sunday was a pretty uh, emotional day, very mixed emotions from myself in particular, uh, as Canada bowed out of the 2022 World Cup. Yes, they do still play the next game, folks. For those that are unaware, they still have to play that scheduled game against Morocco, even though they have been eliminated from the tournament. We're going to go to Qatar. We're going to talk to Peter Galindo from Sportsnet about the match, what Canada got right, and more importantly, all the things that they got wrong in a 4-1 loss to Croatia. Despite scoring their first goal ever at a World Cup, Canada is out. We'll talk to Peter Galindo next about all that on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. You know, Canada didn't, didn't lay down at all here. Um, so, listen, we'll talk about John Herbman's comments for, for a long time. They are what they are. He said he's learned from it. It's not a big deal to I me. Croatia didn't win that game because they were overly motivated because <laughs> no. of a Canadian yeah. coach. 6.35 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, I'm almost going to apologize to our next guest, Peter Galindo from Sportsnet, who's joining us live from Qatar, because we are interrupting what might be the most exciting morning of this World Cup so far. So if you missed it, in the very early game this morning... It was a 3-3 draw between Serbia and Cameroon. The six goals were scored in, I did the math, a 37-minute span. Six goals in 37 minutes on both sides of half. Then we get to this match, which is currently underway between Ghana and Korea, which is 3-2 in the 70th minute, but that went Ghana up 2-0 at the half. Korea scores twice in the span of three minutes early in the second half, and then Ghana comes back and regains the lead. This game is back and forth. Very entertaining to watch, so I apologize to our next guest. He joins us. Uh, this is the Soccer Report brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. For this Soccer Report, we go back to Qatar. Uh, or Our correspondent on the ground, Peter Galindo from Sportsnet here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Good, guys. If only Canada had followed this lead, am I right? Oh, man. Uh, let's start with that. I know that it's an exciting morning there, but obviously we need to do the Canadian soccer story. Um, okay, I don't know how much you paid attention to the coverage uh, locally with regards to the Canadian-based stuff, but I've been a little disappointed in the reaction because it seems as though a lot of our major media outlets have fallen back on well, you know, we were never going to beat Croatia anyway, and we got the goal, and let's enjoy the experience. I feel like we're kind of overlooking the fact that the Canadians just did a lot wrong yesterday, and I know you wrote about this and tweeted about it extensively. 
what went wrong for Canada yesterday, and I think more importantly, what did they get wrong about that Croatia match, a 4-1 loss that eliminated them from the World Cup? Yeah, and, and listen, obviously this all goes with a caveat of, you know, Croatia is pretty freaking good. So I yes, feel like yes. it still would have been a, a pretty difficult challenge to to have come away with a result. This was the game that I thought that they probably would get a result from the least of the three. Um, but regardless, they did not help themselves at all. And for months I was saying that John Herdman should probably go with a midfield trio here. Because if you look at most of the teams who have been able to successfully nullify, or at the very least, keep Croatia's midfield at bay, they've almost always played with three centrally. Like, look at Morocco in the opener. Obviously, they had the advantage of playing them first. Croatia probably wasn't completely up to speed yet. But you saw how well they were able to contain Croatia's midfield and how diligent they were tracking back defensively, making sure there were no gaps to expose on the counterattack and Canada just completely (laughs) abandoned that strategy. And it it was almost a case of like reverse emotions in that obviously in the Belgium game, emotions were high. You could tell that a lot of those players were snatching at their chances because they wanted to get that first goal. It almost seemed like once they scored the early goal against Croatia, and based on how they scored it, because it was a milan Borian long ball to Laren, Laren lays it off to Buchanan, Buchanan crosses to the back post to Davies and goal, it almost seemed like Canada thought, okay, well, you know, Croatia's vulnerable, this is how we can expose them, let's just hit that killer through ball. The problem is, their killer through balls were not coming off. They committed so many men forward, and Croatia was like, okay, thank you very much, we will just pass it to Luka Modric or to Mateo Kovacic, who was terrific yesterday, and they will hit that killer through ball that, that you can't hit, and we are going to finish with aplomb. And that's precisely, I think, how the game went in a nutshell. Did they look maybe a little mentally fatigued to you? Just the way they were giving the ball away, and tactically they just looked out of sorts. I just wonder how much all the, um, the attention that they were receiving in Qatar with regards to Herdman's comments after the Belgium game, and just adding it all up, you know, they played their first World Cup game against Belgium, and they they played really well. And then they have another tough game against Croatia. I just wonder if it all took its toll, and they just kind of they just ran out of gas mentally and and physically in the in the case of a, a, maybe a guy like Atiba Hutchison. Yeah, I, I think it was partially due to fitness because uh, Herdman after the game did admit that Estacchio probably only had about 35 minutes in his legs and he obviously ended up cramping up around that time with his hamstring and was even surprised that Estacchio finished the Belgium game, he mm. said, or at least you know was able to go as long as he did in the Belgium game. And then Hutchinson, of course, 39 years old, playing on three days rest. He was probably not going to be able to give you 100% for very long, um, which kind of lends credence to the argument of, well, why didn't you try to provide maximum cover? Why didn't you start them? To that, I say the options or alternatives to them probably weren't much better. So Herman just decided to go with this tried and true. Um, But I do think that emotionally they, they probably looked a little again, overawed. And that's where you see the difference that match winners like Luka Modric and Mateo Kovacic and, and Marcelo Brozovic and pretty much name your pick. Guys who've played in big games week in, week out, who know how to handle 
themselves in those tense situations. Because really, at the end of the day, I think that the difference in the game more than anything was that cooler heads were able to rule and Canada, maybe a, a little over eager, just weren't able to, to, to manage the game mentally or emotionally. But isn't that at the end of the day, isn't that like predictable? That I mean, doesn't doesn't Modric have more World Cup experience than all the Canadians combined? Like, it's not even close. I, I'm not even talking about yeah. World Cup experience. I'm just talking about big match experience. Um, that Croatian side was, yeah. you know, I don't know if they're going to win the World Cup, but they nearly won the last one, and they were in tough mm-hmm. situations a lot. I was joking earlier, like I hate one nil leads on Croatia because that's exactly where England was. In the semifinals against them, and then Croatia was like, "Okay, well, right, but, you know, okay. and that that whole that whole run." I know Halford's going to get frustrated that I'm going to make excuses for Canada, but this was this was a group that was really not expected to do much, and I don't I don't think it's like I don't think it's unheard of that they learned some tough lessons at the World Cup. It's not that. It's the I, let me just jump in here, Peter. Sorry, but I I, I understand sure, that the sure. the deck was stacked against Canada, and the likelihood of them. Getting points out of this group, especially against Belgium and Croatia, were slim to none. But I look at it as there were a lot of blown opportunities, quite frankly. And there's a big difference between um, playing smart and tight and disciplined and doing the things you need to do to stay in a match and lose 2-1. And then get woefully exposed and literally picked apart at times because you've committed so much forward and, you, and you're, you've conceded four. And it could have been, should have been a lot more, to be honest. Like, that's where I I look at it. I'm saying there's a real sense of naivete that if you know that the opposition has as talented a midfield as Croatia has with Brozovic and Kovacic and Modric, who were fantastic yesterday, why would you open up a match for them? That's where I get frustrated. Yeah. So, I mean, I completely see where both of you are coming from, and that's why I tweeted and basically wrote about Herdman for the first time in a while, getting it wrong tactically. But I do also think that the players went a little rogue on him at times just in terms of how how many gaps there were just in those transitional moments like I I think I put it in in the article on sports.ca that I wrote that on the second goal when Josip Juranovic was cutting inside from right back the gap between defense and midfield was so wide open and against Belgium those very same lines were so compact you you really couldn't fit anybody through there so like those little details I really do think made the difference at the end of the day. Could Herbin have prepared them a little better tactically in in that regard and, and, you know, maybe provided a little more help in terms of his selection and tactics? Sure. Um, But I I think to to Jason's point, look, it's all well and good to say, Hey guys, listen, Croatia's really good. Here's the film because they broke down tons of film before the game. It's another for it to actually be put into practice Mm -hmm. and experience what it's actually like. So they'll use this world cup as a barometer to say, all right, we know what we need to aspire to. This is what the very best do. And as more and more players are moving to Europe, as we see Alistair Johnson about to complete a move to Celtic here, um, moves like that are going to help because you're playing in high-pressure situations every single week. And I think slowly but surely you're going to start to see the team become that side who who I think becomes more locked in mentally because they're capable of it. We, we saw throughout, throughout qualifying. like They've really come through in some really difficult moments. Obviously, this is the biggest test yet, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think from here, they're going to use this as a valuable learning experience, Um, and hopefully they they close out this World Cup with a win, because I think it would would prove to a lot of people 
that, all right, what happened against Croatia is just one of those days. It happens in sports. You just aren't on your game. You play a little naively, and, and that's all in the past. If you can get a result against Morocco and, and also play well and play organized and disciplined, I think that a lot of people will feel a lot better about that Croatia game and the tournament in general. We're speaking to Peter Galindo from Sportsnet, live from Qatar here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Peter, is it fair to suggest, with the benefit of hindsight being 2020, that we're going to look back on this and might the narrative shift from that Belgium match being all about the great performance Canada put forth to that was their real opportunity and their best opportunity in the group, and they might have blown it because they had a lack of finishing. Yeah, I would say so. And and that was one of the things that I had mentioned after that game was, you know, it really makes that Belgium match just that much more difficult to stomach Yep. because clearly of the two games, <laughs> that was the one where you had the chance to, to, to get an early result, to get some momentum. And, you know, if you lose against Croatia, okay, fair enough. You know, you yep. still have a chance to advance in the last game. Um, and that's where, again, it's another lesson where ruthless finishing at this level, you, you have to have it. You can't be trying to find that perfect pass or trying to find that perfect shot and, you know, taking your time because, you know, I was talking to um, another show about Johnson's move to Celtic and how some MLS players, you could see once they stepped up to the quality of a Japan or Uruguay, that extra touch or two or extra second or two they get in MLS, they weren't getting against Uruguay and Japan. I think it's almost the same thing for Canada and that that extra touch, that extra little bit of time to make that cutback or to make that late run isn't necessarily afforded to you at this tournament. And I think that Belgium game was, was pretty much a perfect example of that. How do you think Alfonso Davies, Davies has performed at, at this World Cup? Obviously, he's uh, been a part of some big moments. He missed the PK uh, against Belgium, and mm-hmm. there was some controversy there because there were some people that said, you shouldn't be taking that. Jonathan David should be. He scored Canada's first World Cup uh, goal um, against Croatia, and it was an unbelievable goal. I mean, for for the first World Cup goal in Canada's history, that was a really nice one from from open play. Uh, but I also thought that during the Croatia game, he, I guess, the knock on him has always been that he tries to do a little too much. Uh, I thought that was there, mm-hmm. um, and you know, he gave the ball up a lot, and that was one of the problems that yeah. uh, they had against Croatia. So. Um, agree or disagree with that assessment? How, how do you think uh, Davies performed? No, I think that's completely fair. Um, you know, now I, I will say that players of Davies' caliber will turn over the ball regardless, uh, of course. But um, the, the one curious thing that Canada did going forward in that Croatia game that really made no sense to me, um, and I understand Davies tends to drift inside a lot for Bayern and for his country. Um, you know, and kind of takes up those half spaces and whatnot. But given how dominant Croatia's midfield is, and I did write about this extensively, why not target the flanks more? Because that's the one way to get around it, Uh, especially when you saw how Morocco was exposing them. They were exposing them by just trying to isolate Perisic or Sosa, whoever was on that left side, or Juranovic on the right. And you saw for that first goal, it paid off. In fact, there were a few moments where Canada got really, really good chances by just keeping Buchanan and Davies high and wide and getting the ball to them. And then in doing so, Croatia had to adjust. They had to push some players over to that wing. And then all of a sudden, the shape becomes stretched. And then you have space to run into. So it was curious to me that both Davies and Buchanan were constantly drifting inside 
when really the best way to have created separation and space and goal scoring chances would have been to have at least one of them staying wide. Probably you prefer Davies to stay wide just because he could have been the one to maybe make the difference and, and possibly be the game breaker that you know he can be. Um, but certainly that was certain, you know, a, a, a bit of a peculiar trend that we saw in, in that both of them were just seemingly trying to do a little too much. Uh, Peter, we're right up against it for time here, but I do want to fast forward to the Morocco match, which will be Canada's last at this World Cup. Mm -hmm. They're always difficult ones to navigate from a lot of different perspectives, especially managerially, because you want to try and get guys an experience and play at the same time. You want to still put a good foot forward. And there's a lot of things that Canada hasn't done yet at a World Cup, including securing a single point from any of their matches. So how do you envision this Morocco match playing out with regards to Herdman's choices, who might feature, and what's a realistic expectation? Because there are huge huge implications for the Moroccans in this match. There are. Yeah. And really for everybody in the group, uh, cause it's still pretty wide open, obviously apart from Canada, uh, not being in contention, but um, I imagine we probably see Herdman going to a trio. I mean, I, that would be something I'd like to see. And probably Jonathan Osorio comes in because he looked pretty good in the second half. To be fair, he had one really good chance. Um, he was making those late runs into the box, making himself free for, for a possible open shot. So I wonder if he maybe gets rewarded with a start. Um, I imagine they go back to one striker to compensate. I don't know if it'll be Jonathan David or Kyle Lahren because both of them were, to be fair to them, quite isolated, but they probably weren't playing at their best. So that'll really be a toss-up to me. I imagine Herman probably leans on, on, on David, myself, just because he did get taken off a little earlier than expected. Um, so that's what I'll watch for. But... Um, in terms of how to approach it, that that could be actually a very exciting game because as we've seen with Morocco so far, they play some very good soccer that's easy on the eye. So this uh, should be a fun one at the very least. Peter, thanks a lot for doing this, bud. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the rest of the matches today. Should be a lot of fun. We'll do this again real soon. Absolutely, guys. Cheers. Thank you. That's uh, Peter Galindo, and that was the Soccer Report brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed Pro all the way. So, um, I wrote it last night, and I was, trying to, I was trying to be as succinct as I could, despite the fact I had like a million different things I was wanting to say and a million different things that I felt. It's super mixed emotions. And I know this is on a personal level, but I think that this – this might apply to more than just myself and maybe you. There was a sense of disappointment yesterday, without question. For sure. Without question. Yeah. And I did not like at all a lot of the knee-jerk responses and reflexive responses to be like, ah, well, you know, they got their first goal. What a moment that was. And it was a great, tremendous moment. I mean, I was there for it, you know, at the Hollywood Theater with 500 other Canadian supporters, and it was, it was magical, magisterial, if you will. It's a really great moment. Mm-hmm. But I'm not really the participation ribbon type. I, and I never thought that that was a mentality that this country should have taken and this team should have taken going into the tournament. This wasn't 86. This wasn't a, a ragtag group that was happy to be there and was maybe going to hang around. You know, we talked to John Catliff before the Wednesday's, Wednesday's match against Belgium. And he said their, their motto, their mandate from Tony Waiters, the manager, was the, the match starts at nil-nil. We have a point. Let's keep that. Yeah. Let's go with that. This was a team that had real talent and, to be honest, shouldn't be in this position right now. They shouldn't, have, they shouldn't be eliminated after two matches. They really shouldn't have. 
There was no reason that they should have emerged from that Belgium match without at least a single solitary point. Yeah, especially the way Belgium overall looks right now. It just, it, it's frustrating in, in hindsight. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting all of these texts coming in and being like, you guys are overanalyzing this. They never had a chance against Croatia. There's a big difference, friends, a big difference between hanging in a game and exposing yourself to the degree that they did against Croatia. When you talk about naivete and you talk about you know, the, the Croatian gaffer saying that Herman's a good coach, but he has some things to learn at this level. When they talked about respect, when the Croatian players and managers talked that you have to respect us, mm-hmm. they meant you can't go into this match and throw everything forward and just assume that you're going to overwhelm us. Yeah, We went to the World Cup final in 2018. We can play any style that you want. And we've got more talented players than you. So don't come out and do this sort of like I mean it, it almost came across this sort of raw raw North American. We're going to we're going to storm the beaches and we're going to yeah. we're going to batten down the hatches and we're going to take it to them. Well, we talked about this last week. You got to respect your opponents. Now, this uh, is yeah. this is Croatia we're talking about. One of the best teams in the world. Mm-hmm. Now the that- team that went to the World Cup final yeah. and beat some teams along the way and faced their own adversity. Luka Modric is one of the best players in the world. Right. And all that, and all that is fair to say, when you're talking about the context of Canada, probably was never going to win this game. That that's fine. I think it's I think it's I think it's great to have criticisms of this World Cup, and I, I think people pushing back on this are probably like, "Hey, it was still a good story," and you're acknowledging, "Yeah, it was was still a good story." It's great that Canada got to the World Cup and and f- scored their first World Cup goal, but they're also going to be playing in the next World Cup, exactly, and they're going to be hosting. And if they don't take a harsh assessment and a very honest uh, assessment of their performance in those last two matches, then what was the point of even going to Qatar? The learning lessons aren't. This isn't kindergarten here. Exactly. Right. This is this is something that they have to be uh, brutally honest with themselves. Where do we get it wrong? What did we do that was good also, but where do we go wrong? Because I would hope that the expectations in 2026 are going to be higher than they were for this one. And the learning, and I know we're up against it for time, but uh, the learning lessons here, one of them, and maybe the biggest one, is going to be what John Herdman takes from this. Because he spent the last 48 hours prior to this match talking a lot about, yeah, I'll take this one on the chin. Yeah, maybe I was too honest. He didn't apologize for what he said, and he didn't walk it back. But... The collective handling of the Croatia match, I thought, was poor, to be frank. From Yeah, overall, it was terrible. From what happened prior to the match, mm-hmm. to the selections, to the tactics, yep. to the end result, it was the first time in a long time that the golden boy had some of the luster knocked off him. And I love Herdman. I think he's done an amazing job. I think as far as motivationally and organizationally go, he's at the top of his class. He did. A, he is so fundamentally responsible for them being in this position, but no one is absolved of critique, especially when you put your team in the crosshairs like he did, right? I mean, you could tell that the Croatian guys, and it was Kramaric and it was the gaffer, the two of them that went to the podium, you could tell they were just waiting to say something about what happened before the match. They were waiting for it. They said it. They addressed it. So they knew. Did it help them win the game? I doubt it. They probably could have won 4-1 if Herdman hadn't said anything before the match. It didn't help. We can talk more about uh, Canada's World Cup story uh, in about maybe half an hour. 
iMac is going to join us next. We'll talk about this Canucks team that has won five of its last six, just swept a three-game road trip where a lot of people were looking at that schedule and going, I don't know if they're going to win one. Uh, We will also ask iMac about the Rachel Dory situation. Very unfortunate situation uh, involving the Vancouver Canucks. Ian McIntyre coming up next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.